0: Oh, oh, man. See, here's the thing about that. There's a holiday that's really important to me that recently came, came to be, Father's Day. And I didn't hear from some of you on Father's Day. I'm a little bit upset, though Dustin did text me on Father's Day. So I did get some texts, but others of you, let me back up. I was here for winter camp. And I walked out, and it was dark, and people started yelling stuff. And so I told a story about David Crowder. um, And I I was at a concert, and David Crowder was, like, playing in the dark, and it got quiet because he was, like, switching songs. And I was like, David Crowder is my dad! And he was like, no, I'm not. (laughs) And so that started a thing at winter camp where when people would see me, they'd be like, Mike, is my dad. And so I told you guys back at winter camp, if you were here, hey, if you say that, you got to get me, like, an ugly tie or some socks for Father's Day, y'all didn't give me nothing. All right, well, I appreciate that. All right, so I I am excited. If I haven't got to meet you, uh, my name's Mike, and I love that I'm getting to be here with you this week at camp. Uh, I pray that um, your trip up here was awesome. I pray that last night was awesome for you, and then I'm just expecting the Lord to do some really cool things in your life. Um, So uh, last night, you guys heard that we're going to be walking through the book of John this week. And the book of John... uh, uh, I don't know about you uh, and and leaders in the room, maybe you can speak to this. Uh, Oftentimes people come to me and they say to me, hey, where should I start reading in the Bible if I've never read the Bible before? And oftentimes we say to people, you should read the book of John. I'm gonna tell you, stop telling people to read the book of John because the book of John's kind of confusing. Here's here's why. So when I was in college, uh, my track coach was a guy named John Leon, and he had not uh, walked with the Lord at any point in his life. Uh, The Lord had done some things to begin to stir his heart, and so we decided we were going to read the book of John together. So we get into the book of John, and in John chapter one, you've got John, the title of the book, and then you've got John the Baptist, who's also in the book, and then John, who's one of the disciples, and then you've got him being named John. And so like a chapter in, he was like, which John are we talking about? Here's the other thing about the book of John. If you read the other gospels, they start like most stories start. Like if you and I had met for the first time and I'm like, hey, I'm Mike. Tell me something about you. You would give me details about your life. You would tell me your name. you tell me things you were interested in. You might tell me where you were born. You might tell me about your family. Um, you wouldn't start in the beginning the word was with God and everything was made by him. You'd be like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about right now. And so John starts out somewhat in a non-traditional manner that doesn't make sense. And so, but John's doing something really beautiful. And then John's kind to us because at the end of the, of the book that he's writing, he just tells us why he wrote the book. And so John chapter 20 uh, would say this to us in verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. But even that is important to know some context around that, because that wasn't John just like, so in summary, he wasn't writing an essay for his English class to be like, hey, here are all the things that I've already told you. There's actually a context to that. The context is that there's a guy named Thomas who had walked with Jesus, known about Jesus, been close to Jesus. Jesus gets crucified, and Thomas doesn't see him right after he resurrects. And Thomas is like, I got some questions, and I got some doubts. And so in the context of Jesus answering some of Thomas's questions, he then, John then ends the book by saying, even in the midst of your doubts, even in the midst of you not understanding what's true and what's not true and not knowing where to find it, here's what I want you to know, that Jesus is true, can be trusted, and you can base your life upon him. Which brings us to an interesting question. How do you know if something's true? There's been a a video going around recently. Um, uh, I don't know if this name will be familiar to you or not. There's a guy by the name of Rob Deerdeck. Uh, Rob Deerdeck, uh, I know Rob Deerdeck because there is a show called Rob and Big that I used to watch all the time. He now has a show called Ridiculousness. Uh, but there's a video that's been going around recently. Before we go on, right? Last time I, when I was here, I told you the Mike's my dad thing or David Crowder's my dad thing. And I'm like, hey, you can't do that all week. And then you did it all week. But I'm about to tell you something and you have to promise me you're not going to do this. Like, I don't know how many fingers you need to put up for scouts honor. But Scouts Honor, you need to promise me that you're not going to do this. Because I don't want your mom calling me and saying, hey, why did you teach my kid how to do this? Like, I, I don't even know how your mom will get my number. But, like, like, I don't want that to happen. I don't want your pastor calling me being like, there's an epidemic in our church of kids doing this, what I'm about to tell you about. We good? Yeah. All right. So there's this video going around. I don't know how old it is, but it's Rob Deerdeck talking about how you walk through a plate glass window. And he talks about how, like, if your forehead and your knee hit the piece of glass at the same time, that the glass will shatter. So, like, I get it. Like, if you take like a sledgehammer against a piece of glass, it's gonna break. I take it if you like run full speed and like dive into it, maybe if your body weight's enough, it might break. But he's like legitimately just chilling, just like walking really slow, puts his head forward, puts his knee forward, hits the glass, it like shatters, and he walks through it like a movie. Here's the problem: I don't know if that's true. And I'm a little afraid to find out because if I go try that with the plate glass window that's tempered glass and I put my knee and my forehead at the same time and it doesn't break, I look like a fool. And so again, here's the reason why not to do this. I don't know if it's true. And so the next time you run into a plate glass window, you might just have a funny mark on your forehead because it didn't break. Or if it is true, you're going to have to pay for the plate glass window that you broke. But here's what it would make me feel like it might be true. If the manufacturer of plate glass windows said, oh yeah, if you put two points of pressure on the glass at the same time with the same pressure, it'll shatter the window. Or if somebody who is an expert in making glass was like, oh yeah, the integrity of the glass is jostled because the vibrations at two different points like ruin the integrity of the bonds of the structure and it no longer can hold together and it falls apart. Then I'd be like, okay, that makes sense to me. But Rob Deerdeck. I'm like I I don't I don't know if I trust you, boss. Like I don't know if you like paid somebody to get this like fake movie glass to make it really easy for you or if this really happened. And so the person who created the glass has has this sense of trustworthiness that makes sense for me. So let's go back to our question. How do we know if something's true? Well, I'm not sure that we can know it's true by our experience or by watching enough videos about it, but I think if we could have a conversation with the person who created the thing that we're asking the question about, we might, we might trust that they know enough about it that they might be able to tell us this is true or it's not true. Enter the book of John, the story of John talking about understanding who Jesus is and truth being revealed in the midst of that story. And so here's what I want to ask you to do before we jump into John chapter one, I want to ask you to take 45 seconds before the Lord. And what I want you to say to the Lord, and maybe you're here and you're like, I don't even know if I believe in the Lord. Then have this conversation in and of yourself that you are going to be somebody who's going to have the courage to seek and hear truth this week. That's it that means laying down your walls of assuming what you already know or believing because you heard somebody say or because you watched a video on TikTok that convinced you like lay all that down and just say hey, I'm going to come to an honest conversation I'm going to walk up to this conversation like I don't know anything about this and I'm just going to learn and listen for the first time I just want to challenge you for 45 seconds to do business with the Lord or or wrestle within yourself to say okay this week I don't know this dude he's not my dad like like I don't you know I just want to take some time and give you the chance to empty yourself of what you feel like you already know to be true, to be this honest seeker of truth as if it were the first time. And so for 45 seconds, can we just go before the Lord and do that? And then I'll pray and then we'll jump into the word. So, Lord Jesus, I just ask for the next few moments in my heart and our hearts that we would be willing to sit under your word and listen, to lower down our defenses of what we have convinced ourselves that we know and just hear you speak from the volume of the scriptures. Speak to our hearts, maybe not just about truth, um, but maybe about how we respond to truth, how we feel when, when we are um, presented truth, and how we ultimately feel about you. It's in your name I pray, amen? John chapter one, if you've got a Bible, um, we'll be starting in verse one. Uh, I want you to see two things. I want you to see one, that um, the presence of God is everywhere, and two, that the presence of God is here. And so John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, would say this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, not John, the author of the book, but John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We'll, we'll jump back in here in just a second, but, but I want to walk through a little bit of what's happening here. And so I already mentioned that John is writing this uh, introduction to Jesus in a way that feels really different than if you read Matthew or Luke or, or even Mark. Um, Mark jumps in and is like, hey, we'll skip all the baby stuff. Like, like Christmas is important, but like you've seen the star enough times, you get the story. Let's jump past that, and let's jump straight into the ministry of Jesus. Matthew and Luke start with right before he's born and, and the, the context of what his family was going through. But John throws all that in the win- out of the window, and he writes these words, "...in the beginning." Now, here's something that's important if you're going to find truth. When you are trying to find truth, you need to understand the intent of the author and who the author is writing to uh, and not just interpret it through your own lenses. So let me, let me put it this way. Um, you understand what it means to read something and understand the meaning, not because of what you decide, but because of, what it, because of what it actually means. So for instance, if your mom texts you and says, hey, you should take out the trash, you can't read that text and be like, Through my skills of investigation and interpretation, I believe, mom, that you're saying that you are going to buy me a Tesla. Like, wait a minute, no. None of those words in that sentence have anything to do with that. And so you don't get to make up your own meaning to, to decide what something means. And so when you read the scriptures, you don't get to decide, hey, this means this because I want these words to mean this. It actually has to be what did the author intend and what would the people who he was writing to, how would they understand that? I say that because those words in the beginning would be key words for somebody that was reading that back in the first century to say, oh, wait a minute, he's, he's quoting the beginning of the Bible. And so Genesis chapter one, the very first words of the Bible was, in the beginning, there was God. And that actually feels a little problematic. If you keep reading, there wasn't anything else. And so what John is referring to is back in the beginning, before anything else existed, God was there. Now, I know some of you are creative. I know some of you, like, you're, like, you're that, that level of creative where, like, if I put you in a room with, like, a piece of paper and a candle and a piece of tape, like, you'd come out and you would, like, build a building. Like, my mother-in-law is that. So my mother-in-law is staying with my wife and my kids right now while I'm here. And uh, my wife was putting my one-year-old down for a nap. And so my mother-in-law was doing crafts with my four-year-old. Now, when I do crafts with my four-year-old, I, we're, we're doing, like, interpretive Picasso-type art because I can't draw a straight line and neither can he. And so when it's done, it's like, yeah, that looks like an airplane. It don't look like an airplane. Like it looks like like a broken rectangle. That's what it looks like. But when my mother-in-law does art, she'll take like pieces of string and like a couple of pieces of paper. And like when it's done, she's like made this immaculate lion. To which I say to myself, why did I play so many video games when I was a kid? I should've learned to draw. And so, like, some of you are that type of creative, but no matter how creative you are, you're not creative like God's creative. Like, no matter how creative you are, like, you're like, no, I'm pretty bad to the bone. Like, if you, like, you guys are like, what does that even mean? There was a song back in the day that that was actually a really cool song, and it meant you were awesome. Just, just forget it. Forget the reference. Um, like, some of you are like, man, I am super creative. Like, you could give me any material, any medium, and I could p- create a piece of art that would blow your mind. But here's where God's more creative than you. You still need the medium. You still need the paper. You still need the paints. He stepped out on nothing, looked out into nowhere, grabbed nothing, flung it across nowhere, told it to stay there, and it did. Like, like there's a level of God's creativity that we just don't get because we don't operate on that level. So when God says, let there be light, somebody didn't walk over to the corner and be like, all right, let me turn on the switch for you, Lord. It was, wait a minute, what's light? Like when when God creates, like he is creating out of the mess of nothing into everything that we see. And so when we think about what's been created, including what's true, the one who was there before truth even existed is the one who is the ownership of truth. And so God, in the beginning, it says that in the beginning, God created, God was. But John says, in the beginning, the word was with God, the word was God, and without him, nothing was made. Now, the word is a reference specifically to Jesus, but I think you just need to understand the importance of words. Here's what words do. What is not expressed in your mind is now expressed through your words. And you get that back when we all had to wear masks, praise the Lord, we don't all have to wear masks. When you walked into the store and you grabbed something off the shelf and somebody was standing there with a mask staring at you, you don't know if they're really mad because you took the last batch of Clorox wipes or if they're a friend that recognizes you unless they say something. Or... um, Here's a relevant example. You got that friend that you ask them a really pointed question. Hey, can I borrow that pair of shoes? And then all you get is dots for like a month. And you're like, did you ghost me? Like, are you ever going to respond to that? Like, what are you thinking right now? You have no idea what's in their mind. Like, did they just forget to respond and like they started and they didn't finish? Are they? Do they hate you now because you asked them for their pair of shoes? Like, like because they didn't express their words, you don't know what's in their mind. And so what John is trying to say is that in the beginning, God who owns truth expressed truth through the word. And you see that even in the way that he created the world. And then he does this cool thing that he says that, um, that there was a man named John, John the Baptist. And so we'll, we'll hear more about John the Baptist this evening, but John the Baptist was this, uh, this predecessor to Jesus. Uh, any of you play football? Uh, we don't, because everybody plays spread offenses now, we don't use this, this player very much anymore. But back in the day, there was a guy named the fullback. And the fullback's job was to just run through the hole and hit people so that the tailback could like get, get open field. Um, and so John the Baptist is the fullback. Like he's the one that's making a clear way for Jesus to come. And, and so he, the way that John says it here is that John the Baptist was the predecessor. He was the one that was a witness to the light, though he wasn't the light. And John's doing something interesting when he uses the word Light. In John's Gospel, you will see some themes over and over again. We'll talk about them all throughout the week. And one of them is light. And light, as opposed to darkness, means the ability to see truth versus the ability not to see truth. And so, again, you get this. Nobody's cool walking into a dark room. Uh, my, My old roommate, his name's Gabe Smith. For whatever reason, my roommate Gabe, when he liked to watch TV when we lived in a house together... He liked to watch TV in the dark. No problem with that. But instead of getting up and walking to the wall and flipping the switch, he would just reach up and unscrew the light bulb from the ceiling fan. (laughs) And so, like, I might be working late, and I would come in, and Gabe has been watching TV, and so he's unscrewed the light bulb from the ceiling fan. And so when I walk in the house, I'm, like, trying to flip the light switch, and it doesn't work. And so the living room's completely dark because, like, the TV's not on. And so I'm, like, trying to sneak through my house like it's a a mission impossible, trying not to trip over the couch. Like, nobody's cool in the darkness. Like, in the darkness, you are awkward. You are not your best version of yourself. In the darkness, you can't see enough in front of yourself, even when your eyes adjust, to walk with some confidence. And John says that here's what happens when the Word comes into the world. That what seemed like it was dark and confusing and disorienting, now all of a sudden has been made clear. And so God, who in the very beginning stood by himself, uh, when I say God, I'm thinking the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, that he expressed by the word his creation. And when he expressed by the word his creation, it brings light into the world in a way that we can see in not just physical darkness, but also spiritual, emotional, uh, mental darkness. And John's painting this picture that if you're looking to find a way, a a set of lenses to see the world with truth and clarity, that you need God to do it. Now, some of you push back on that. Because some of you are like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Have you seen some of the inconsistencies in your Bible? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, like, I'm trying to figure out where I need to go for college. How does the Bible help me do that? Or the Bible feels like it's antiquated compared to the things that I'm dealing with in the world today. Like, it doesn't answer some of the most, the most important questions that I have. And so how can you say to me that if I'm trying to see the world with clarity that I need God to do it when it doesn't feel like God does that? Especially because the way John's talking about it feels like it's this big, broad, wide scope of all of creation is showing the picture of God. And so it feels like he's saying some things that would be helpful if they were closer to me. They would be helpful if they made more sense to my world, my situation, if they made more sense to to what I live in day to day. Like it would be more helpful not if it was just this general idea that was spread out all throughout creation, but if it was actually specific to the place where I lived. John chapter 1 verse 14 is helpful. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, "This was he whom I've said, he comes after me ranks, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Christ, through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. And so if if telling you that God's presence and the truth of God is everywhere around you, it's the light that helps you see in this dark world. If that feels like it's not helpful, John seems like he understood what you were gonna ask next. And so he said, it's not just that the word was there at the beginning and create created. He's like, but the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I, I'm gonna talk about this more tonight, but um, have you ever met a really famous person? In fact, here's a little bit of crowd participation, but we, we we can control it. Who is the most famous person you've met in person? I have no idea who sh- 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 is. Tiffany. Ha- ha- oh, that is a good. Britney Spears and Tiffany Haddish are good ones. Two million subscribers. Clay Thompson. You said. Did somebody say blueface? I have no idea who Blueface is. Was his face blue? Okay. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's why I ask you that question. Because it doesn't matter how many facts you know about that person, you don't know them until you meet them. Right? Like, like you, can, you can Wikipedia Tiffany Haddish, but you, have, you don't really know Tiffany Haddish until you've met her. You could, like, you could look up all the details and have heard every song about Britney Spears and watched every video that's ever been made about Britney. You could, be, you could be like the first person standing in line in the Free Britney campaign. But until you've met her, you don't know her. Like you don't know if her breath stank. You don't know if she's tall or short. Like, like I mean, you can guess, but you don't really know because you haven't actually experienced her. And so until she becomes real and tangible, like she's, she's really just this idea that you know about. Um, I, I grew up in Moore, Oklahoma. It, now, for most of you, Moore, Oklahoma doesn't mean very much. And so here's how I describe it to most people. Either back in the day when there was this really crazy tornado, that was my hometown that went through the tornado. And some people know that, some people don't. But here's what most people know. It is the hometown of Toby Keith. And so, somebody, somebody was like, Toby Keith. I've never met Toby Keith. But apparently, I went to high school with Toby Keith's daughter. And so, I lived in the same hometown, went to high school with his daughter. I do not know Toby Keith. Like, I couldn't like, walk into his living room and be like, what's up, Tobe, how you doing, doc? That's what would happen right before the police came and arrested me, because I don't know him. And so it's interesting because while the light came into the world and shined on darkness, here's what actually happens with light. I was having this conversation with my four-year-old, that the closer you are to light, that everything beyond the light is actually that much more dark. And so the presence of light in the world actually just helps you differentiate between what's dark and what's, what's light, but that doesn't mean you actually know the truth of what the light is showing. And then John says... But here's what God did for you, that the word became flesh and he hung out with us. So now the presence of God, the truth of God, the light of God is not just everywhere. The light of God is here and it is near to us. Again, that language was really important because the word of God dwelling among us actually would have meant something a little bit more specific for the original hearers. Uh, when God interacted with his people in the Old Testament, the way that he often did it was through a thing called covenant. And covenant is this, this kind of word that uh, the longer definition is, it's this mutual relationship of commitment to one another. There's a difference between a covenant and a contract. So you and your cell phone company have a contract. You pay the bill, they give you service. They stop giving you service, you stop paying the bill. Or if you stop paying the bill, they will stop giving you service. Some of you feeling some shame right now, just work through it. It's not a big deal. Covenant says, even if you don't do your part, I'll do mine. And so God would make these covenants with people that would say, whether you do your part or not, I'm going to be good and gracious and kind and loving to you. One of those covenant comes in the book of Exodus. You're actually familiar with it because what comes after it is uh, the Ten Commandments and then all of these laws. But it starts with God saying, hey, I rescued you out of slavery in Egypt. I carried you out like I was an eagle, carrying you upon my wings. And so now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be your God. You shall be my people. And then what comes after that is the Ten Commandments, the ways that you live faithfully in the covenant. Here's what you're supposed to do. Here's what I'll do. And then what happens next is that when Moses goes up on the mountain to go get those Ten Commandments, the people are like, "Been about five minutes, Moses ain't coming back. We should make our own God. And so they take all the metal that they have and they, they melt it down and they build this golden calf and they start worshiping around this golden calf. Like, like could you imagine? This is like your parents say, hey, we're going to the store Don't do anything crazy while I'm gone. And when I get back, uh, we'll have dinner. And they come back and you have taken everything in the house and built this large cow. And you and your siblings are dancing in the front yard around this cow. (laughs) Like, somebody's somebody's getting grounded for the rest of their life because of this. (laughs) And so Moses comes off the mountain and he's like, what are you guys doing? melts the golden calf down, puts it in their water, and makes them drink it. Which is like the most hardcore parent remove I've ever read in the entire Bible. And then goes and builds this tent outside of the camp to talk to God and be like, Lord, what is wrong with these people? And the Lord's like, I'm going to kill them. And he's like, no, 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 no. I thought we were playing good cop, bad cop. I thought you were going good cop. I was going to be back out. You can't do that, Lord. And he says, you can't do that. Because everybody will look at you and say, well, you said you rescued this people, but then you just destroyed them. And the Lord's like, yeah, you're right. But I'm not going to go with you to the place I promised you because I can't be around you and your sinfulness. Moses like, no, 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 no. Like, we don't want to go if you don't go with us. And so he's having this conversation. And then he says, well, since I'm here and we're having a conversation, I want to know more about you. So can you show me your glory? And the Lord's like, all right, come back up the mountain." He comes back up the mountain, he walks by, and when when, when Moses sees the, the back part of God, he says, man, the Lord, the Lord is gracious and merciful, uh, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And that's actually a statement that shows up in your Bible so many times. It's as if the authors of the Bible are like, hey, don't forget this. God's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. But what I want you to get was that little tent that he made. The word for that tent is where John gets the word that he dwelt among us. It's literally that he tabernacled with us. Here's the problem. The version in Exodus, he didn't dwell among them. It was this camp way over here that was far from the people because the people were so sinful and broken that they had been so deceived by false truth that God's like, I can't be near you. So the camp had to be way over there. But John says, here's what God has done through Jesus for you, that instead of being somewhere far away where you can't get to him, that the tabernacle now dwells among you, that he's near you, and then let's take it a step further, and that Jesus is full of both grace and truth. We like truth when it comes to other people. So I don't know why America is this way but we really love our cop shows. And so whether it's shows like Cops, or whether it's the 37 different versions of CSI, I mean, at some point, they're gonna have a CSI More Oklahoma. It's gonna be a really short show because there's only like three places you can go and more where you were like, and then the season would be over. But like, there's so many of those. And what we love is we love watching Justice. Because truth and justice are related to, in our minds. And so, man, we love truth when it comes to other people. It makes us think of movies like A Few Good Men. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Lost reference. It's a great movie. You should watch it. But the reason I say that is, but when it comes to us, we love Grace. And so when it comes to other people's situation, we want truth. We want them to be dealt with in the exact way that the, their crime should be, should be dealt with. This is why cancel culture is, is so uh, ferocious. Because when somebody is publicly brought before the world to say, you did things that you shouldn't do, we're like, yes, throw the book at them. That if they're a musician, you should never play their song on the radio again that if they're in a movie, you should never show their movie unless it's my favorite movie, then I'll deal with it. Like like we have this thing about us because we believe in truth and truth says that if you do something wrong, that you should be held up for your crimes. But when it comes to us, we want grace. And what I love about what John is saying about Jesus is that the presence of God reveals truth everywhere, but he's also brought himself near to you through Jesus and Jesus is full of both grace and truth. And so Jesus is not letting you off the hook for the things that you did, but because of the grace of Jesus, there's mercy, there's, there's been a payment made for the things that you've done. That Jesus is full of both grace and truth. And then I love that he says, "No one has ever seen God. But Jesus has made him known. Can we take a deep dive for like, three minutes? You stay with me if I take you deep. In preaching, there's a term called exegesis. Some of you are like, what are you doing to my Jesus? Exegesis just means to bring the meaning out. The opposite is eisegesis where you put the meaning on something. We just talked about this. You don't do that. you, You read something for what it means and you understand it from its meaning. You don't create its meaning when you read it. And so the idea of exegesis is that you're taking an idea and you're narrating the idea where it can be more understood. Uh, it's the same thing that like, when you watch a kid's movie and there's a vo- disembodied voice in the movie, which is actually kind of creepy, that explains everything that's going on to you. Or when you were little and an adult would read a book to you and they wouldn't just read it, but they would like, like, they would like read it. Uh, so for instance, I, my, my oldest niece just turned 22, a few weeks ago, I mean, she was really little. I used to read The Lion King to her, but I would read The Lion King in different voices to her. And so like anything that had to do with Mufasa, I would, I would be like, Simba, everything the light touches is our kingdom, which for like a two-year-old, she was like, are you Mufasa? <laughs> I just let it ride, just let her think that maybe I was. But it's this, it's this narration It's this explanation. It's this illustration of something that you wouldn't understand without it. And John would say that if you're wanting to know God, that Jesus is the the narration, the exegesis, the explanation, the illustration of all that God is that you couldn't see on your own. So the problem is not that the presence of God is not everywhere. The problem is that we we have broken eyes and we can't see it, and Jesus is through the kindness of God, would come near to us, not way far outside of the camp where we can't get to him, and not just bringing truth and justice in a way that would out us for all the things that we've done wrong, but Jesus coming in a way that would bring both grace and truth that we might see the goodness of God in a way that we couldn't see. He's the narration of who God is. And so here's my challenge as we keep walking forward the rest of this week. My hope for you is that you would look to Jesus to see the truth of God. That, it, that truth wouldn't be just some random theory out there in the world, but it would be embodied in Jesus for you. And if we can get that by reading the book of John and seeing the way that Jesus lived and interacted, that if we could understand that about Jesus, that it would then frame our trust around everything else that God is saying to us. You cannot trust something that you don't know, and you cannot know something if you're not willing to experience it. And God said that I want you to experience who I am through Jesus. So John would write so that you would know that he is the son of God and that you would find life in him. And you will not find life and you will not find truth if you're not willing to experience who Jesus is. And my prayer this week for you is that you would hear the invitation of Jesus that we'll talk about tonight. Where he says, come and see. Come and know who I am so I, we started with just taking a few moments to hear and ask the Lord, will you help me be a, a truth seeker this week? I want to end our time with saying, Lord, would you give me eyes to see the way that you've brought truth through Jesus? And some of you, that might be really, really scary. Um, When I was, I used to live in Dallas. When I was in Dallas, uh, I I worked with college students primarily, so 18 to 35 years old. And I remember having a conversation with a young lady who was like around the church, but she's like, I don't want to be a follower of Jesus. Which I'm like, man, this is a really lame hobby to come hang out at a church if you don't want to follow Jesus. And she said, I know that if I choose to follow Jesus, that it changes everything about me. And there's a part of me that was like, "Uh, well, and then I paused, I was like, no, you're right. Like you can't lead a double life. Like if Jesus is true and what he says is truth, I can't be like, oh yeah, all this is true, but I'm still gonna do this over here. That's really confusing can't be I honor you and love you more than everybody else except for when your back's turned because then I'm going to do whatever I want because I honor me and love me more than anything else. And so when I say to you to pray that the Lord would give you the opportunity to see and trust Jesus for who he is this week, I'm asking you to step into something that means it might change everything. And I actually think, That's the best thing I could ever possibly offer you. That the presence of God, that the truth of God is everywhere. And Jesus gives you the lenses to see it. And if you honestly want to find truth this week, it's gonna be found through him. So I wanna pray over you. And again, I'm not gonna make you raise your hand or, or do anything, you don't even have to respond. I just want you to to wrestle in your own soul for the next few moments. Jesus, what would it mean for me to be able to see you and trust that you are true? Let's pray. So God, I thank you. I thank you that in the very beginning, you created all things, that nothing was made without you. And so therefore, truth can't exist without you, that you are the one who owns what's true. Like the silly example of of the glass manufacturer being able to tell you whether what Rob Dyrdek is saying is true or not, that you, Lord, are the only one that can really tell us the truth of how the world is meant to operate. But Lord, you didn't leave that to a mystery that we could never find out but you brought Jesus near to dwell among us, that we would know the truth and trust the truth. So now that the ball is in our court, will we be courageous enough to trust, to, to ask you by your spirit to give us eyes to see Jesus for the truth that he is and to trust him? For some in this room, they've already done that. And Lord, would you just help them to see the truth more vividly? Would you take it from standard definition all the way to 4K in their eyes? For others, they've not trusted you yet. And they, would you, because Jesus, you have made God known. You are the narration, the illustration, the explanation, the exegesis of who God is, Jesus. Would you make him known this week in such a way that there would be no truth that's hidden from them, that they would not be able to deny the truth of who you are? Would you give them the courage to lean in this week, to hear you in that way? It's in your matchless name I pray. Amen.